Business is simple. It's just not easy. We focus on three things to help you run and grow your business more easily. Talent, sales, and how to scale. This is the Talent, Sales, and Scale Show. So, hey, everyone, Brian Whittington with this episode of the Talent, Sales, and Scale Show. Boy, do we have a treat. So Jason Bay was on here a while back, and he always has this guy, Nick Sigalski, on his show. And I'm really diving down deeply into some wonderful tactics. He has his own 30 Minutes to President's Club um, podcast, so definitely check that out. There's a lot of great little segments, fast-moving, hard-hitting. He's, believe it or not, the head wrestling coach, so if you don't listen to him, he's going to kick your ass. Um, over at USC. He's a real estate investor, enterprise AE, a short point tech. He's a former co-founder, entrepreneur, done it all kind of thing. Just got done taking a walk with a fancy fan behind him. So check him out on, uh, on YouTube here. So all that said, welcome, Nick. Brian, thanks for having me on. I'm really excited for our conversation. Yeah, me too. So um, we're going to really dive down deeply into a lot of tactics here on sales development, sales in general. So one of the first questions I always like to ask is, Nick, why in the world should we listen to you? I mean, you're doing all these things. What makes you set a, such a hot shot in sales? Well, if you're listening to this podcast, you likely have listened to other podcasts before. And if you're anything like me, you've probably been moderately unsatisfied with other podcast guests where they talk about things that sound really good, like you got to sell value or sit on the same side of the table as the customer, which sound great and are true, but they don't really tell you what to do. So um, my commitment to the listener is I'm going to talk about things that you as a salesperson can do, say, or write today when you get off the phone or get off listening to this on your phone and uh, can make a difference in your life with the customer. Yeah. And, and I say this all the time and I love that, Nick, right? So knowledge for knowledge sake is pointless. It's knowledge for application's sake. So what are you going to take and, and apply to this? And I think that's one of the things that Nick does a really nice job of is not only giving you what the tact or not only give you the idea, the theory, but then the tactics behind it and how to, how you can absolutely execute. So let's, let's start from the beginning, if you will. So I'm a, I'm a new SDR, right? I'm, I'm brand new day one. Um, you know, how did you start this off? Because you were coming straight out of school. So give me a little sense. How did you get started? I mean, did you take this um, in school? Did you have some sales classes that you took? Walk me through just from that basics and then how you got to where you are today as an enterprise AE, which is where a lot of people are looking to go. Well, when I was in college, I started a company. I actually started with a guy that I run the 30 Minutes of Presidents Club podcast with. We we started a company called SupNow. We sold supplements like protein powder and fat burners and pre-workout out of vending machines. And so I actually sort of started my career as like a vending machine salesperson. I had started the company. And so I was door knocking at gyms, trying to get them to allow me to put a vending machine in the lobby so I could sell tubs of protein. And so uh, <laughs> that that business actually was was somewhat successful when we started it off. But my co-founder and I didn't really know how to run a business. We were like 20 years old. And so we ended up exiting that. And actually my first job out of college, I worked at Aldi, the grocery store. I was a regional manager for Aldi. I did that for about a year. And then I realized that the thing that I liked best about the, the company that I started was the, the selling and the business development and actually having conversations with prospective customers. It's kind of like wrestling where you get punched in the face 12 times, <laughs> but on the 13th attempt, uh, it ends up 
kind of going your way and you have to cling on to those wins and forget about the losses, those 12 other times you get punched in the face. And so I started as a, as an entry level SDR and I wasn't very good at it at first, but, um, I really tried to focus on a couple. And when, when I say at first, maybe the first couple months, but, um, I think I've identified a couple key areas that new salespeople should focus on if they want to be really, really successful pretty quickly. Okay. So let's, let's hit this. So you said you weren't very good for this, those first couple of months. What, um, what were you, uh, what were you messing up on? Why would you say that you weren't very good? Because you've, you've really come past that. Yeah. Well, I think there's probably the two biggest areas that new salespeople screw up is one, the daily schedule and the daily rhythm. And then two, the way that they communicate things to customers, especially this is something that plagues new salespeople, especially those who just come out of school, is I'm a new SDR, I'm 23 years old, and I'm cold calling the CFO of a Fortune 500 company. Well, I look on this person's LinkedIn and they've got this wonderful work history and they're clearly very, very smart and accomplished. And I think that I need to bring my language up to like match how smart I think they are. And so I start talking about data-driven efficiencies and optimizing workflow um, when really, if I, like I call, I call law firms right now and like you would think I'm, I'm calling these lawyers who went to Yale and Harvard and I've got to speak really eloquently. And, and really, I might just say something like, look, I, I talk to a lot of lawyers who hate having to enter their own time and I'm calling you about something that makes that easier. Would you be open to learning more? Like that's my best performing cold call script, what I just said right there. That's not something like you need to be very um, sophisticated to be able to say. And so I think a lot of new salespeople, like they think they've got to talk super intelligently and they end up just saying stuff that sounds nice, but doesn't really mean anything to the prospective customer. And so when you combine not being super clear and direct in your communication with not really managing your day the right way, because the way that you manage your day as a salesperson, it's not really um, complex. Like it's very simple in terms of the things that you need to do repeatedly to be successful, but it's really hard to be regimented and disciplined and day in and day out, keep taking those shots because most of the time you do get hit with rejection. And so I think sometimes having consistency around the schedule is the best way to prevent yourself from um, procrastinating prospecting. Yeah. Now, so let's, let's dive down a little bit more deeply because off of those two things, one is, um, you know, whether you call it time blocking or, you know, scheduling discipline, uh, let's talk about that because most times people will start down that path and like, that's ah, not working, but really it's you not working the plan. So talk to us a little bit about there, any best practices that you found, um, whenever you were doing that. Yeah. A couple. Um, one, I think you need to plan your attack and then attack your plan. What I mean by that is you can't make decisions about what you're going to do next in the heat of battle. What I mean by that, Brian, is right now it's 1.34 on a Monday afternoon and I'm talking to you. When this meeting ends and I move on to my like next slot in my day, I, might, I don't have meetings the rest of the day until five or six. I've got empty space, but I've already decided what I'm going to do later in the day. I made that decision yesterday before I went to bed. 
it's really easy to let the day be controlled by your level of motivation, what happened on your last call and how you're feeling, your like energy level. But I don't think you can you can perform consistently that way just to follow your emotions and how you're feeling. So when I say plan your attack and attack your plan, the day prior, make decisions about how all of the free time on your calendar is going to be spent. Because then you don't have to think anymore. Otherwise, you're just controlled by, oh, that was a brutal call. Now I'm down on myself and I'm going to mope for 15 minutes. And well, let me check my email again. You, you can't live that way. When the calendar tells you what you need to do next, uh, it becomes a lot easier. You just focus on executing and all your energy goes towards executing instead of strategizing, executing and bouncing back and forth. Now, of so, course, you're going to have to pivot, but I, I think that's step one. Yeah. So let's talk about, all right, so you're in your head. Right. So you have it time blocked. What are you telling yourself whenever you don't want to do it? You just had that bad time or you, 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 you just it's admin stuff. You don't want to do that particular task, but you know you need to do it. So what are you talking about in your head to get past that? Well, my, my high school wrestling coach is talking to me in my head still. The first <laughs> thing that he said to the team on my first day of practice ever was discipline is doing what you don't want to do when you don't want to do it. And I think you have to think about the feedback loop of discipline to results, because when you get results, like let's talk about cold calling, for example, maybe that's easier than admin work. Cause I know it's really easy to look at your cold call block and say, Oh, geez, I do not want to call for an hour. And it's easy to push and procrastinate that. But um, when you tie the result of cold calling to like what it gives you, it becomes easier to do it. What I mean by that is um, about a week and a half ago, I closed a, a pretty big deal that resulted in tens of thousands of dollars of commission checks for me. Nice, so congrats. I'm really happy about that. That deal would not have been in my pipeline. I wouldn't have closed the deal had I not cold called that prospective customer. And so what happens, like I really make it an effort to every single day do some prospecting because what happens is when I hit my cold call block, actually after this call, I'm going to be able to tie the deal that I just closed and the money I'm getting back to prospecting. So the tough part for new salespeople is like, I, I wouldn't have made that money if I hadn't made cold calls. So it's easy for me, me to make, keep making cold calls because I just, I just closed a deal that was a result of some cold calls. If you've never closed a deal before, it's really tough to sort of jumpstart the engine and start prospecting because you, you haven't connected it yet to the positive yield. So you sort of have to, to artificially motivate yourself at first. So, so any tricks to the trade there? How did you artificially motivate yourself? Because I have a couple of ideas that maybe come to mind, but I really like to hear yours. Well, I think the biggest one is it's an approach I call eat the frog. It's the idea of if you have a live frog sitting on your desk and on your to-do list is you've got to eat that frog. It's best just to get it out of the way first thing in the morning, because that's typically when your energy and willpower is the highest. Otherwise, it's going it's to sit there on the desk getting slimier and grosser, and you're still going to have to do it. It's just now been rotting on your desk the, all, the full day. So um, I think you've, you've, you've got to find a way to match the toughest work to when you're actually going to get it done. So you want to structure your day to match your personal energy level. Um, the other thing is I typically try to stack like tasks. What I mean by that is um, if I have a proposal call, I'm going over a proposal with a customer. It usually takes me about 30 minutes to do that. And if I'm going over three proposals in a day with a customer, I'm going to try to stack those proposal calls back to back 
to back because my head's already there in the, the mode of, okay, I'm explaining pricing and services. And I don't want to task switch a bunch. I don't want to go from explaining a proposal call to uh, going through admin work to now I'm cold calling. Now I've got another proposal call. I mean, it doesn't always work out perfectly, but in, in every attempt, I try to stack like events. That helps me with willpower and energy also. Yeah, so it seems like you really bring a lot, a lot of process to what you're doing because those in the manufacturing space or anybody that's seen manufacturing, you know, retooling or any time that you have to change, uh, change out, it, it takes a completely different mindset, skill set. And so whenever you're doing like tasks, it makes a lot easier just to go, okay, this is familiar and then just redo and redo and redo. Right. So yeah, great thoughts there. And the other piece that I like what you said is, you know, one of the things that we talked about is most people, the way they feel determine the way they act and the way they act determines their thinking, right? So they justify their actions. So they feel better about themselves. And what you've said here, from my understanding, correct, is you think right, act right, feel right. I think about what I need to do. I act intentionally to get it done. And that way I start to feel pretty darn good about the results that I'm getting. So is that a good summation of kind of what you're laying out there? Yeah. And then it's easy to stay committed to it once you actually start seeing results. If you're creating a schedule and you're staying committed to that schedule and you're making a lot of money and closing a lot of deals and you're at the top of the leaderboard, well, it's not so hard anymore to stick to that rigor and discipline because you're seeing the impact of it. So that's a really key element of it. Correct. Because if you if your thinking isn't where it wants to be or your belief set isn't there, the only way that you're going to get to change that, and you can push back on this, but my belief is the only way that you're going to get your beliefs to change is if you act intentionally and you see different results. Because if you act intentionally and yet your results don't change... It negative negatively reinforces that reinforces those beliefs. So like you're sa saying, you have to lay out those results. So whenever you're brand new in that SDR position, Nick, how did you tie the results? Were you always, I mean, you're coming at this, I'm guessing that you wrestled collegiately to be a head coach there. Um, did you always tie were you always goal oriented that you were able to go after it effectively or was that learned over time? Can you talk to that a little bit? Yeah. Um, something that I learned from my wrestling coach also, he would always tell us focus on the process, not the product. And yeah. so as a new salesperson, I get, you know, this sort of ties to what we talked about earlier. Like once you start getting the wins and the results, it's easy to keep doing the work, but like as a new salesperson, you've never experienced the wins. So you like, you have nothing to really connect it to. And I think there, what you need to do is one, you want to find folks to model. So hopefully we'll, you know, we've already talked about some, some best practices in terms of like setting up your day and stacking like events and eating the frog. But I think you want to try and copy schedules from that perspective. But um, yeah, I mean, I have been goal oriented, I, I, but I focus on doing the right things. Um, what that process, not product quote means, like if you do everything right and you follow the best practice with most things, like the result should take care of itself. And I think like, it's really easy when you get it handed your new quota in the, the, you know, 2022 starts and you see your quota and it's bigger than it was the last year to get like overwhelmed and scared. But really what you have to do is break it down and work backwards. And then if every single day you're committed to like, I, I focus on the daily, it doesn't mean I don't pick my head up and say, okay, am I going in the right direction? Like strategically long-term, but I think it's really easy to get caught up in the massive goal as opposed to being really, really disciplined with the day in front of you, because that's the only day that you can control. So, um, I mean, I think the answer to your question is no, like I don't spend a lot of time like 
focusing on the big goal and where it needs to be. I, I have some strategic times throughout the year where I look at, all right, where do I want to be in the next quarter and a number of different pieces of my life. And then, um, like I've been spending a lot of time recently really scrutinizing my daily schedule and all the things that I need to do to be successful in the different parts of my life. Cause I have a lot going on. I've got this podcast that I'm running. I'm trying to create a lot of content for that. I've got sponsors. Um, they're my customers that I have to take care of. And so there's work that I need to do related to that. I've got my W2 job, which I want to be really successful at. And there's a lot of work there. And then I've got the real estate investments that I have. And so there's a lot of different pieces of my work life there. Forget about my personal life, my health and fitness, other hobbies that I want to take care of, the wrestling team that I coach. And so I'm really focusing on what are the things that I need to do daily for each of those so that I can stick to a rigorous schedule and win at each of them. Um, and that's also forcing me to make decisions about things that I need to cut out also. Correct. And, and so here, everything that Nick is doing, so you cannot complain that you're too busy, that there isn't enough time. Everybody has 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It's what you do with that time. And the curious thing is the most successful people, however you define success, are typically also the busiest people. They just simply know how to execute in that time well, are really succinct in their messaging, really direct in what they do. And, and I think that's what, and, and you can tell me if you disagree with this, not, but it, it seems like Nick, that whenever you reach out to somebody, it's less about what you say. And I think you just pointed it out. Hey, do you have a problem with X? We have a better way than that. It's how you convey that, that, that conviction and belief that comes across that I think most people pick up, not necessarily you know, super slick sales tactics, it's confidence and conviction seems to be coming across by you. Yeah. I mean, one of the other things you mentioned a couple sentences ago was, okay, you know, I've got a lot going on. It's what you do with the time that you have, you know, in those 24 hours. I think it's also a lot about like, what don't you do in yeah. that time? Because I think there's this perception, like in the hustle culture mindset world that you can like white knuckle your way to success that like, if you don't have what you want, it means you need to be like putting more into your schedule and more on yourself. And you just need to work a little bit harder and you'll get there. And like, don't get me wrong. I'm a huge believer in hard work and discipline and dedication and sacrifice. But I also think in order to add more into your life, you have to subtract things. And I mean, a, a, a good example is I think too many salespeople spend too much time on email. I really try to limit my use of email, even with customers. I always bias myself to picking up the phone and calling them. So when I'm looking at my pipeline, if there's a, if there's a customer where like, I'm trying to figure out, all right, where are we right now? What do we need to do to progress this thing? I could like go through the email thread and I could, okay, you know what? They asked me about this three weeks ago and it got lost in the fray. Like I, I just pick up my phone and I rip out a bunch of dials through my pipeline and it takes me an hour. I end up having seven conversations with, with the customers. Deals start moving forward. And I really, I try to train my boss, my colleagues, my customers that it's the phone, man. I mean, I, cause you, you get so much more done. There's so much more communicated using the phone than on email. So I've tried to cut out email as much as possible from that perspective. Um, I shut off all my notifications on teams and slacks uh, I look at those, I, you know, I batch check those twice a day. I look at them, I clear out the messages and then I look at it at the end of the day also. Um, and then I think you've got to find strategic places in your life where you can add time back also. During the pandemic, I started getting my groceries delivered as opposed to going to the grocery store and it's more expensive. I pay a delivery fee and I pay a tip and um, the only place near me is Whole Foods that delivers. So that's a lot more expensive than going to Trader Joe's. But if I look at how much my time is worth, 
Um, I will gladly pay that because in the hour that I save not going to the grocery store, that's more time that I can work on things that yield me a lot more money. So um, I, I do things like that. And then the other element to think about is if you're expecting that high level of output out of yourself to be able to uh, stick to the daily rigor and do all the big goals that I'm sure the listeners have, you've got to think about like what you're putting in also. And so I think focusing on like your diet and exercise and your sleep and taking care of your mental health and reflection, like you can't, you can't be a machine and have an extremely high level of output unless you're being extremely disciplined with the way that you take care of yourself physically and mentally. Yep. So love that. So power of no, right? Because anything that you add, you likely have to subtract out. Um, so that power of no, because you can only get so, so efficient throughout the day. And let's go back to, okay, Nick, I'm guessing you're human. I'm guessing you have a bad day. I'm guessing there's a time or two that you don't do all of this stuff just so people don't think, holy crap, I can never do that. Mm -hmm. I screw up all the time. I probably screw up every single day. I mean, I, I would I would venture to say I am not compliant with the things that I'm talking about today, 100% of 100% of days. But and that's and that's a key point that I want people to get to get because it's so easy to listen to these podcasts. It's so easy to listen to other people and like, oh my gosh, I can never do that. But neither can they because everyone's human. However, are you consistently doing that time and time again? And when you mess up, do you fess up or do you make excuses? tuck and roll back over? Do you get back up and say, that sucked, admit it, and then move on? And my guess is you do that ladder. Right. I mean, just like there's the four stages of, of competence. You know, you've got your incompetent, uh, unconscious incompetence all the way to unconscious competence. And the first step for most people is being cognizant of like, okay, how should I be behaving? And even if you're not 100% compliant with it, like, all right, the fact that you're making an effort and if you get there 50% of the time, that's better than 0% of the time. So, yep. And then push uh, it to 60 and then 70 as much as you possibly can, as long as you're progressing forward, everyone's going to be at a different level. And I think there's, there's a line between like showing yourself tough love and like, you know, fessing up if you, if you're, you're not doing it and then just being an asshole to yourself. Like <laughs> I, I think there's enough jerks out there and there's enough negative energy and like the world is tough enough that like, if you're not perfect, you can cut yourself a little bit of slack. Like, uh, but, but the reason I say that is like, I really, one of my number one focuses is taking, like I actually wrote this on my phone the other day. I was, um, ranking the things that are most important to me. The number one thing that's more important to me than my health, um, my career and my like financial success is my health, because I actually think my taking care of myself physically and mentally it will allow me to work harder in my career. And I end up making more money as a result of that. Like I'm not willing to mortgage that. So um, I think you've got to be extremely disciplined with taking care of yourself and mental health is part of that. So if you're going to beat yourself up because you, you only made 12 calls and you wanted to make 25 in that hour, like you've missed the entire point of this. Yeah. And, and wholly agree. Right. I, f I forget the, uh, the author, so forgive me, but it's something along the lines of what we say to ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. And they, they talk about your negative self-talk is a, typically 80%. And oftentimes the way you talk to yourself, you would beat somebody else up if they spoke to you that right? way. So, and it's not helpful, right? You, you going into that, woe was me type of mentality or beating yourself up does zero for you. So acknowledge it, acknowledge that you're human, figure out the plan to progress and then move on. So I, well, I really well, Brian, think that's it's kind important. Of, it's kind of funny uh, on the topic of self-talk. 
when you and I came on, we were on the prep call and I said, oh, how's it going? You said, oh, I'm living the dream. I'm great. And I said, oh, you know, if you repeat a lie to yourself enough, it, you eventually start to believe it. And so the same applies actually to positive self-talk. Yeah. And I think this is really fascinating. Like if you hate cold calling and you're scared of cold calling and like you always skip your call block and you're not making the calls you're supposed to, like if you actually just start lying to yourself and telling yourself, oh, I love cold calling. Cold calling is my favorite part of the job. I, I feel confident in my cold calls. I'm excited to make cold calls. If you tell yourself that enough, your brain actually starts to believe it. So you can trick your brain by repeating the lie by giving yourself positive self-talk so much that you actually start to tilt in that direction. Like I, I actually... I, I, I'm not, I shouldn't say this, but like, I don't really like cold calling all that much. It's really hard. I don't like being rejected, but I've been on so many dang podcasts talking about cold calling and how good it is for me and how good it is for salespeople. Like when it's time to make the cold calls, my brain is just so calibrated. And like, well, I guess I kind of like to do this and I think I'm good at it because <laughs> people ask me about it on podcasts. So um, that's a really like, I think that's a tactical thing people can go do. Like go lie to yourself about something you want to improve and your brain will start to believe it and then live it. Yeah, it's really working on that subconscious because the subconscious doesn't know if it's happening for real or not. Right. And if you're going to lie to yourself anyway, why not lie to yourself in a positive way? There you go. Yeah, I love <laughs> it. Well, okay. So we talked a lot about um, the how-tos, right? So we, we get into this. We want our daily rhythm. We want to get that schedule down. We want to batch this out. Um, really, really strong ideas there. We also want to work with how we communicate, communicating in a very direct manner, Um now, and you also talked about finding modeling. So can you touch on that? And then we're going to go into some how to's like the progression from, okay, now I'm prospecting the house to there. But before we move on to that, the modeling piece, let's at least touch on that. How do you suggest people go out and find models? I would go onto LinkedIn. I would search your profession. I would go follow a couple people and I would walk away. Like that's all I would do. I mean, there's so much podcasts and books and there's probably a salesperson at your company who's doing better than you. Your boss can probably point you in that direction. The whole idea is like, I think when we think of finding folks to model after too many folks aim for perfection and they want to find somebody who's like hundred percent at hundred percent of what they do. And like, you're never going to find that. And so I think the act of even seeking out someone to model and try to follow their schedule or do the things that they do, you're, you're going to be more successful than if you were just shooting from the hip. So, um, I mean, if you really want, what I did was there was a SDR that sat next to me at my first job. And I said, Hey man, you're doing better than me. Can I look at your calendar? What are you sending in your emails? What do you say when you pick up the phone? And that person wasn't right about a lot of things, but they were better than I was. <laughs> and so, um, I don't know, step one, buy a coffee for someone smarter than you and say, what should I do? When you ask for advice, most people, they love to be helpful. Most people love to be asked for advice because you make them feel really important and they're willing to help. So I don't know. Don't just like sit there on an island and suffer. Ask someone better than you. Hey, if I could do two things differently, what would you suggest I do? Yeah, and then one thing, one thing I also really lean on a lot when I'm asking for help, I always say, and look, I'm looking for my performance to be improved, not approved. Because oftentimes when we ask for help, folks don't want to hurt our feelings. And I just want to get better. You're not going to hurt my feelings. I have to, but, but like emotionally, you might say something and it hurts, but I have to remind myself, no, no, no. Like I'm asking this because I want to get better. Not just to be like, hear what I'm doing is right. Yeah. So. And whenever somebody gives you that feedback, thank them. 
Right. Do not justify, do not explain why you're doing it. Hey, thanks. It's an interesting way of looking at it. Let me consider that. And don't justify what you're doing because that's a good way not to get a role model to help you out. Right, right. So got it. All right. So now we've done that. We're set up, we're modeling, we're doing some things, we're getting some best practices. We're following some really sharp folks like Nick on, on LinkedIn, checking out that content. Um, now I'm now I'm doing the the work. So walk me through how did you get from that starting out? I wasn't terribly good. Like, did you jump right into the complexity of oh, I'm using sequencers and videos and and um, like super complicated scripting? Or walk me through how you went from where you were or, or where you were to the simplicity that you use today. Well, um, I stayed in that first SDR job for probably nine months, and then I ended up getting an AE job and actually a pretty complex sale. And so a lot of the stuff that I do now came uh, as a necessity of like the sale, like some, a lot of the video stuff that I do. Um, in that complex sale, which is really like my first AE job is really where I think I emerged as a really great salesperson. Um, step one Again, I'm going to go back to this idea of the feedback loop, but sort of from a different perspective. If you want to get better at anything, you need to like put yourself in a situation to get better. And I'll use wrestling as an example. If I want to get better at uh, my double leg takedown, the best way to get better at my double leg takedown is to consistently practice that double leg takedown against a number of different training partners and opponents, because everybody's going to give me a little bit of a different feel. And so I start to make micro adjustments in how I execute that technique. And I think the exact same thing applies in a sales situation. So uh, negotiation is a pretty complex um, art and there's no like one, like there's not a right, there, there's principles in negotiation, don't get me wrong, but like the way that I might negotiate with, or you might say against you, Brian, is going to be different than if I'm in a negotiation with a different person versus right. a different with a different person. So every negotiation situation is a little bit different, but if you want to become a great negotiator, you have to consistently put yourself in that position. Well, the only way I'm going to put myself in a position of negotiating again and again and again and again and again is if I have a really full pipeline. Because, like, you know, I hear people say, oh, don't practice on your prospects. You should practice, like, save practice for practice and, you know, prospects, you do your best stuff. But I don't know if I really believe that because my calendar is back to back to back to back to back. And I'm not shooting from the hip so much and trying weird stuff. I'm like, so, okay, to, to answer your question, the way that you get really good really fast as a salesperson is you put your foot on the gas as hard as possible right away. And so what I did in this new job was I had just come from an SDR job, but I, I guess I didn't know as an AE that you were going to like get inbound leads and other SDRs <laughs> would give me stuff. So, I mean, I was a, a, assaulting the phone. I mean, I was making probably 50 or so. I didn't have a sequencer or anything that I, I've actually, I've never used any of those tools, but um, that's not a me thing. It's the companies I worked for thing. Um, I was cold calling like a maniac. And so I started setting meetings and demos and calls. And I think part of the reason I got good fast was like, when you're in 12 demos a day, you're going to get pretty good at demoing pretty quickly and you, you'll be able to iterate. And because the feedback loop is there, like I would learn something in a demo at 8 a.m. and I would apply that in a demo at 10 a.m. And so I hate to say this is like the advice to people, but it's like, 
you have to prospect like a maniac, especially in a new job, because the feedback loop is going to be so much faster. And yes, you'll probably lose deals that maybe you could have won if you had like been a little more uh, seasoned and had ramped quicker, but like those deals will come back or you'll find other deals. And like, I think the idea is you want to get to proficient as quickly as possible. And there is no other better way to do that than having a super full pipeline and having the pressure of, okay, I need to figure out, can our product do this? Can the solution do this? Then having a real customer asking you that, because that's the best way to light a fire under your butt is like having potential money closed one deal and now you've got to figure stuff out. Like that's how you ramp really quickly in my mind. Yeah. And the beauty about that is whenever you have a full pipeline, because you know that you know how to set appointments and, and, and that's going to give you insane amount of confidence because if you lose that deal, ah, that sucks, but I have 17 others. And, and, and there is so much power in there because like, I don't know if you call it this way, but you, you set up um, like in the Sandler days, we called it an upfront contract, right? Mm-hmm. So you're, I always said the strength of your upfront contract is di- directly proportional to how much prospecting you're doing. Because if you don't have any prospecting going on, you're not going to set a strong upfront contract. If you're not doing, uh, if you don't have a ton of opportunities, you're not going to do strong pipeline management. If you're not doing strong pipeline management, or if you're going to do good negotiation, you better make sure that you have a lot of opportunities. And the crazy thing is you start winning so many more deals because that confidence begets wins. Um, At least that's what I've seen. I don't know if you'd agree with that though. Well, well, okay. So you talk about that upfront contract, right? One of the things that you'll say, and there's a variation, everybody says it probably differently. is like, look, if you ever feel like what I'm showing you isn't a very good fit, would you feel comfortable telling me? Like, if you ever don't like what you see, please tell me. Well, and you might even take that one step further. You're showing a product demo and you're, you're kind of getting a sense that this, this Brian guy, he's not really liking the dashboards I'm showing. Well, if you're confident in your pipeline and you feel like it's okay to lose the deal you're talking to, I don't like losing, but I'm okay with it. Um, you might actually say, Brian, I'm, I'm kind of getting the sense that you're not really crazy about this dashboard thing that I'm showing you right now. Now, when, I, when I'm confident enough to say that to you, because my pipeline is full enough, one of two things happens. You're either going to say, no, Nick, sorry, I was, uh, I was actually on mute and I, I just need another cup of coffee. It's been a really crazy morning. Um, all right, I'm focused now, right? So I've, I've validated that actually, okay, you, you do kind of like this thing. You're just, you need some more caffeine. I might send you a a cup of coffee after that meeting also, and really, (laughs) but the other alternative in that situation is you're not crazy about what I'm showing. And now that I've asked pretty politely, and there's not a lot of pressure there, I'm like, in the sense, you don't really love this thing. You might say, yeah, Nick, I mean, I thought these dashboards were going to show me X. Well, there's a chance that maybe there's another set of dashboards that does show you X and I'm just showing the wrong dang thing. And so when you're confident in your pipeline and you're okay, losing a deal and like really giving the customer and almost offering them a chance to say no. I love doing that all the time. If you offer them a chance, like, and then, you know, you use the word why, like, look, you know, Brian, there's a ton of other really great solutions and we're certainly not the biggest company you could come work with. I I guess, why would you even work with a company of only 25 people? Well, the answer the customer gives you there actually tells you why they really like your thing. And you can use that, like you understand your positioning then. So I like offering the chance for the customer to opt out all the time because I'm no longer the pushy salesperson. And then I get stuff that's not real out of my pipeline. I'm only working stuff that's really, really, really real. And you get clarity in the communication. They respect you more. And even if they choose not to do business with you, they're going to put you in touch with people that will do business with you. And it also, you pointed out if they wanted dashboard X or they wanted to show X, 
and I'm not showing them the right thing. Well, now at least you have an opportunity to win it. Whereas if you got off the, the, the demo or if you got off the meeting and they had no idea, yep. you have, you're going to be in chase mode and you're going to go nowhere. So right. I absolutely love, love that. All right. So now you, you said something I was not anticipating you saying. You're not using sequencers or anything along those lines. So walk me through. I mean, what are some of those processes um, th that you've taken to where you've honed in on your language so much that you're asking basically, hey, most people that I talk to, um, they get frustrated with this or hate doing that. I don't know. I think that we have a better way worth a discussion. I mean, that's pretty much that straightforward that you're asking. How did you get rid of all the crap down to that simplicity, especially whenever you don't have all the, the technology behind you? Well, I think there's three pieces to like what you might call a value proposition. I call it a problem proposition on a, on a cold call. Before you even get to that, I want to talk about probably the biggest cause of death on a cold call, which is just going into the pitch right away. I, I, I use what, you know, you probably would call it an upfront contract because you, you have the Sandler background. Uh, I just call it a permission-based opener. Yeah. The person picks up the phone. I say, Brian, I know you didn't expect me to call you this afternoon. This is Nick Sigelski with 30 minutes to president's club. Do you mind if I take one minute? I'll tell you why I'm calling you. And you can let me know if it makes sense for us to speak eight times out of 10. They say, all right, you got one minute go. And I say, okay, perfect. Start your timer. If you just go in and like most people, they say, oh, did I catch you at a bad time? Which you're making a cold call. Of course, it's a bad time. Or Brian, hey, how's your day going? Which I think is disingenuous because if I'm calling 50 CFOs in a row, I really don't care about all 50 <laughs> of their days. And like the other person knows it and you're usually going to get a, all right, fine. What's this about? Yep. Uh, which isn't how you want to start off a cold call. So I always use a permission-based opener because- there's a difference between listening and hearing. And until the other person has opted in to listen to what I'm going to say, it's not worth saying anything else. They're just going to, you know, it goes in one out the other. It's just hearing. So I want them to affirm, okay, they will listen to me. So I use a permission-based opener. Um, and then the way that I formulate what I say next, I, um, I call it context problem ask. There's three components of it. The first is the context. So um, it's usually just something to try and demonstrate a little bit of social proof which I never thought was important until I started getting a ton of cold calls for like people wanting to um, sell me Bitcoin or my car warranty update or my student loans, which actually don't exist because I had a scholarship. So I realized like there's so much like spam calling out there that like if you're a B2B caller, you're probably calling somebody for a reason and you have other customers maybe sort of like them. And so I think just saying that sort of differentiates you from the others. So um, for me, I sell to law firms. So um, let's pretend I'm calling just for context, let's say I'm calling the managing partner of a, of a law firm and I'm trying to sell them or, or set a meeting to, to, to explain to them a tool that helps them keep track of their time that they bill clients more easily. So there's three pieces. There's the context, there's the problem, and then there's the ask. So I guess I'll just say it and then I'll break it down. So I might say, uh, Brian, the, the reason I'm calling you is I work with a number of other managing partners of law firms who tell me that they're kind of frustrated because they hate having to keep track of their time that they bill clients. And I'm calling you about something that makes that problem go away. And I'm wondering if you'd be open to learning more when I'm, when I'm not cold calling you out of the blue. That's exactly what I say. So the first piece, I'm, I've worked with a number of other managing partners of law firms. There's the context. The problem, I'm not making it about efficiency or money. I think too many people think, okay, you know, they're not efficient enough with acts or um, they're spending too much money on their life insurance uh, policy for their, their employees. Like 
I don't think saving time or saving money are true problems. Like they're one level too high. So what I try to do is get really, really granular to a problem. And the best way to describe it is something that like the prospective customer hates about their current world. And so I think when you use like, I don't know, sort of layman's terms, like it gets through. And so I try to be really specific with the problem. I might say, um, you know, I work with a lot of managing partners of law firms who are, are frustrated with how long it takes their law firm to send bills to clients. And I'm calling you about something that makes that a faster process. So I try to keep the problem really simple. And then the ask is, would you be open to learning more? And then I try to like make it that I'm, I have some EQ, I'm self-aware when I'm not cold calling you out of the blue. What I've not done in any of that statement is explain how we solve the problem, because I'm actually just checking for two things. One, does the problem exist? Because if it doesn't exist, well, we probably can't help them. And it's not worth my time pursuing a sales cycle with them. Two, are they interested in solving that problem at some point? Not now, I'm calling you out of the blue, but at some point, would you be interested in having a conversation about solving that problem? Um, and so if the answer to both of those questions is yes, then it's pretty easy to book a meeting. If it's no, I might need to call back another time with a different problem in mind. Um, or maybe I just stink and I need to work on my tone. <laughs> I, I go with the latter one, right? So now, okay. So you don't get anywhere. You don't set the meeting right there, but you've identified there might be a little bit of a problem. What's your follow-up sequence? And, and yeah, we'll just, I'll, I'll ask that simple question there. What's your follow-up sequence for them? Well, it depends on why I didn't book the meeting right there. If they said, oh yeah, call me in six months, I'll say, sure, no problem. Is there something in particular that you had in mind in six months that made that a good time for me to call? Because I'm trying to get some more information about why. And if it's something that's legitimate, okay, I would either try to schedule something for six months out. Like, hey, I know December's a while off, but uh, I guess, would you be open to me sending you an invite? And then if that time doesn't work, we can just move it to a better time. Probably get a 50% hit rate with that where they say, all right, sure, go ahead and send it over. Um, if it's just like, oh, I'm too busy or I, I don't have time to talk right now or whatever reason. Yeah, we're struggling, but you know, I'm about to walk into a courtroom. Like, you know, I can't talk right now. Beep. Um, I don't know. I would just call them later. I, I call them later. I mean, in terms of my sequence, you know, I don't use a sequencing tool, but I certainly have a contact strategy with folks where, um, and I keep track of all of it in Salesforce, which is a heck of a lot of fun. But, <laughs> I, um, you know, I, I, I try to be really call heavy because I don't know. I don't, I, I was a public relations major in college and a big part of that was writing. And I had a couple professors who were, I love them. They were big sticklers on, on spelling and grammar and sentence structure. And so when I write, I want my writing to be really good. I'm like sort of a perfectionist related to that. And there's so many more things you can communicate verbally. And so I can make 50 calls that are like personalized and relevant and like reactive to the person and what they're giving me. Um, in the time it would take me to send 10, probably pretty dang good emails. So I'm always going to opt for the phone. It's where I'm strong. I think you got to bias to your strengths. Yeah, I agree with that. And, and now how uh, do, do you, if they don't answer the phone, do you ever do a, a strictly email campaign or do you just skip them? Um, I mean, I still send emails. I probably have four or five emails that are like my go-tos based on the type of law that the law firm practices and how big they are and, and maybe the incumbent program I would be replacing. So don't get me wrong. It's not like I'm not sending emails, but yeah, if somebody's not replying and I've reached out 12 times, I'm going to put a pause on them and go contact some other people because even it, like, even if they did reply after the 23rd time, like I'm, 
I think about the 80, 20 rule and like the law of diminishing returns. And there's a lot of like research out there that says, Oh, well it takes 47 attempts to get a con a prospect to reply. So don't give up, don't stop. And I'm like, well, yeah, but you also spent 47, um, activities to get a reply. And I might be better off going after, after other folks. Cause if, if someone is a good fit, I usually hear back after reply two or three. So I think you have to, like we talked about earlier, what don't you do? I'm not 